Thanks, John. Give you a moment to uh, find Luke 18 again uh, in your Bibles. And if you want a listen up sheet and haven't got one, there might be a few more, maybe, spare at the back. No, we've run out. So you might need to look over somebody's shoulder uh, or just uh, take notes in another fashion. Let me pray again as we come to God's Word. Father, we pray that as your Word is open now, that you might be kind enough to open your Word up to us and open us up to your Word, that we might know you better and love you more. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Now, there's maybe uh, a few exceptions to this rule, but I think it's fair to say that as a nation, uh, we're not particularly good at waiting. Uh, Whether we're waiting in traffic jams on the A30, which is all too common these days, whether we're waiting for exam results to come back, which I know a few uh, in the fellowship are, or whether we're waiting to leave the house in the morning and someone's not ready and we're tapping our watch and where are they? whether we're waiting in all sorts of other different ways. We're not particularly good, I think, maybe I'm speaking personally, but I think I can speak generally a little bit as well. We're not particularly good at waiting, which is actually a bit of a problem because waiting is a key component in the Christian life. In fact, right now we're waiting. We are living in between the two comings of Jesus Christ. Jesus has come once already. And he's died for our sin on a cross. He's risen to new life. He's ascended into heaven. And he's coming again in all his glory to judge the living and the dead. That's the context in the second half of Luke chapter 17. The context in which we find this parable that we are waiting for Jesus to come again in glory. The question for us now is this. What does it look like to wait well? How should we live and how should we pray in light of that day, the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, in answer to that question, Jesus doesn't give us a list of bullet points to keep. He gives us a parable to understand. A parable that is incredibly rich in what it has to teach us about being faithful in prayer. Have a look again at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. You see, the danger for us as Christians, as we wait for the return of Christ, as we we battle with sin in our own hearts, as well as injustice out there in this world, is that we grow weary and lose heart. I imagine most of us felt a bit like that already in our Christian walks. And if we haven't already, at some point we probably will. That's why Jesus gives us this parable. To help us, to encourage us to keep going and to keep praying as we wait patiently for the return of the Lord Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open there, you'll see that it's actually a fairly short parable covering just four verses. And in some ways it's a simple parable involving just two characters. Firstly, we have an unjust judge who we're introduced to in verse 2. A man who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? How such a man was appointed to such a task. No concern for truth. 
No concern for justice, no concern for the the vulnerable and the marginalized and the downtrodden and the unprotected like this widow in the story. Everything you wouldn't want to find in a judge, you find in this one. And then we have the widow in verse 3 who's been wronged in some way by somebody. We don't know exactly how. We don't know the, the specific nature of the injustice. But what we do know is that this widow has got nowhere left to turn. She's vulnerable, she's unprotected, she's unprovided for, and she's got nowhere left to go. And so day after day, she is back at the court, knocking on the door of this unjust judge. She's filling his inbox with emails. She's leaving messages on his answer phone. She's one of those ones that had the placards outside the court. She, she's seeking and longing for justice. And her plea is the same every single day. It's there in verse 3. Grant me justice against my adversary. Now, of course, this lady's not got a lot going for her in worldly terms. She wouldn't have been a big influencer in society. But one thing that she did have in bucket loads is persistence. And in the end, that persistence pays off, doesn't it? Verse 4 and 5. For some time he refused. The judge wouldn't give her justice. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Here we find an unjust judge being worn down, literally beaten down by the relentless nature of this widow's plea. And for anyone here who's got children or had children, you'll probably know something of what that feels like. Persisting, persistent pleading often gets results. Yet before we think a little bit more about how this applies to our own prayer life and indeed the character of God, I want us to think firstly about injustice in the world. Because one thing that this parable draws our attention to is the very real presence of injustice. You see, the day is coming, as we've mentioned already, when the Lord Jesus will return from heaven in glory. And on that day, there will be full and final justice. Yet, as we wait for that day, We continue to live in a world deeply broken by sin, this side of heaven. We're confronted with injustice every single day of our lives, aren't we? Television screens, our own personal lives, our own dealings with other people. John's mentioned some of those already in his prayers. You don't need to look too far to see the the plethora of injustice in this world. Probably don't need these statistics, but I'm going to bring them to you anyway. Over one million people allegedly are trafficked in the world every year. Mostly young, vulnerable children who are moved from one place to another to do some quite horrible things. That is modern slavery on a monstrous scale. When you begin to get a feel of the the statistics like that, something in your heart cries out, that's not right. It is unjust. It should not be. Another article I was reading said it's estimated there's between 40 and 50 million abortions every year. Staggering numbers, aren't they? 40 to 50 million 
vulnerable lives terminated before they've even been born into this world. Again, when you begin to hear stats like this, something in your heart just knows it should not be like this. The world we live in is not right. Things are happening all the time that are not as they should be. There's justice everywhere, and every single person will experience that injustice. It's common to every person. But there's also injustice in this world that I think is unique to Christian believers. The Lord Jesus, of course, Himself faced huge injustice. The sinless Son of God, who never wronged a soul in even the smallest way, was nailed to a cruel cross and brutally murdered for crimes that He did not commit. All in God's sovereign plan to save people like us. But the Bible says if we follow our Saviour, we will face injustice, we will suffer, not to the degree that Jesus did, but to smaller degrees, we will face injustice like him. I don't know whether anyone reads the Christian Institute or gets the emails from them, but there was a, an email that came out this week about a school governor who was dismissed simply for raising concerns about a, a sex education policy, affirming trans stuff in this. All they did was simply raise a concern and they were got rid of then and there on the spot. In her case, actually, after a year-long battle, it's just finished. She's been reinstated. They admitted that what happened was wrong, and she's back in her role as a school governor. She did get justice. But here's the point. Whether we get justice in this world or not, when we're wronged in different ways, one day in heaven, there will be perfect justice because Jesus will come back and make sure perfect justice happens. The question for us now, as we live in light of that day of perfect justice, is how will we live and how will we pray? And the answer that we find in the parable is just like the widow, isn't it? We should long for justice. We should contend for justice as the Christian Institute do so well. We should pray for justice, knowing that one day when Jesus comes, justice will be done and the victims will be vindicated. Firstly, there is injustice in this world. But secondly, we can have confidence in God. Despite the injustice, we can have great confidence in our God. Why? Because of what He's like. Because of what our God is like. You see, what we have before us is a parable of contrast, isn't it? Often when we read the parables in the Bible, we're looking out for similarities maybe between a particular character in the parable and God. For example, the parable of the, the prodigal son, the lost sons, okay, and the younger son gets his inheritance early, doesn't he? And he, he runs away from home and he blows the whole lot on wild living and he ends up in a pit of life and it's there he comes to his senses. It's there that he realizes how much he has wronged his father who loves him and he turns for home and he's reciting this, this please forgive me speech as he makes his way back home. But before he even gets to the front door, his father throws it open, runs down the drive and embraces him in all the filth and the dirt of his former life. It is just a, a glimpse. As we see this father, we get a glimpse of what God is like. A loving father who longs for dirty sinners like you and me to come home and find a welcoming embrace. The power in that parable is seeing the similarity, isn't it, between the father and God. 
The power in this parable is not about seeing similarities. It's about seeing contrasts. You see, the judge in this story has nothing in common with God. Look again how he's described in verse 2. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God, had no regard, nor cared what people thought. This guy couldn't care less about people. Couldn't care less about justice. And you've got to ask yourself a question. Is that a trait that he shares with our God? Is that what God is like? Carol's shaking his head, and rightly so. Of course not. That's not our God. God cares for the people of this world immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. So much so that as we've sung already, He sent His one and only Son into this world to bear our sin on the cross, to carry it to Calvary in order that we might be forgiven. That's how much God cares. You see, when we come to look at our God and when we think about the subject of justice, we're not simply a number in a case file. We're unique. We've been fearfully and wonderfully made, crafted by divine hands in the image of God and loved immeasurably before the dawn of time. That's our God. Now do you see the power of contrast? The judge in this parable is heartless and immoral, yet even he in the end brings justice. How much more so with our God? Verse 7. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? Will He delay? No, verse 8. I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. You see, when we pray, we are not knocking on the door of an unjust judge. We come before our Father in heaven. We come before one who hears our cry and will act in line with his good and perfect character. As we read in Psalm 89, verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. God's loving rule in this world is built on the foundation of righteousness and justice and love and faithfulness go before Him. Does that mean we'll always get justice this side of heaven? No, it doesn't. We live in a world that is littered with injustice. The day of justice in view in verse 7 is a future day. The day when Christ comes again. That's the end of chapter 17. That's the great Christian hope. That one day Jesus will come back and he will sort out all the mess and all the injustice of this world. But until that day arrives, how should we live? What does it look like to wait and to wait well? Well, the answer to that question is by being confident in God, knowing what God is like and being faithful in prayer. Which brings us to our final heading. You see, the key in many ways to waiting well is praying lots. That's the lesson that we learn from the widow in the story. And there's three things that I think we see in this widow concerning a healthy attitude to prayer. Firstly, praying is pleading. You see that in verse 7, and will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? 
We see throughout the Bible, we find God's people crying out to their God. You may remember, and we'll look at this in our series upcoming in Exodus, when God's people are in slavery in Egypt, they're, they're groaning and they cry out to their God. Exodus 2 verse 23, they groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their cry and God went to their aid. It is a pattern that we see throughout the Bible. The Psalms, in fact, are saturated with heartfelt cries of God's people in different difficult circumstances of life, pouring out their heart to their God. And so it has been, isn't it, across the centuries. And so should it be today. If we really understand our need for God's grace, not just in those obvious moments when you've got nowhere else to turn, you know, when life is desperate and you've been pushed there and you can go nowhere else. I'm talking about every single moment of every day. To live with an awareness of the need of God's grace as we fight sin in our hearts and seek to live God's way. The more we understand our need for God's help in life, the more we will be driven to our knees to plead for that help that he might give it to us. Firstly, pleading. Secondly, to him with the plea. She didn't just come once and get no answer and give up and go away. No, she kept coming. Day after day, she was knocking on the door until she got justice. Now, the point of this parable isn't that we bully God into submission. It's not like we're wrestling with God, looking for that decisive hold where we pin him down and we we twist his arm behind his back until God gives us what we want. That's not how prayer works. God is good and he's willing. He wants to give and God is sovereign over the affairs of this world. As one author said, prayer is not about overcoming God's reluctance but laying hold of his willingness. You see that? When we pray to God, we're not overcoming any sense of reluctance in God. We're laying hold of God's willingness. God is not heartless and reluctant like the judge in the story. He's generous. He's loving. He delights to give his children good things, but he does expect us to ask. He does want us to come to him in prayer. And he does want us to lay hold of of his willingness and of course the more that something matters to us the more we'll ask for it right that's why the widow kept coming back because justice really mattered to her and it's no different today if something really matters to us we'll keep on bringing it to God in prayer whether it's a particular situation that you're facing or a particular person maybe even yourself who's going through a difficult time Pleading, persistence, and finally, patience. You see, we don't know how long this woman was pleading before she got justice. But a lot of things in the story actually point to a significant delay. Can you see that in verse 4 and 5? For some time he refused, the judge refused to give the woman what she was asking for. But finally, at last, he said to himself, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. Often our prayers aren't answered straight away, are they? Certainly in the way that we ask them. There's often a delay. In fact, I'm well aware of people in this room this morning who have been praying for something or someone 
family member maybe, someone who you love dearly who's not yet to come to the Lord and you, you've praying, been praying earnestly year after year, you've been bringing these people or this situation before the Lord and sometimes nothing seems to change. So easy to get discouraged, isn't it? To the point where we hurry our prayers or shorten our prayers or even stop praying Altogether, there's a real danger that we grow weary in our prayer life. And Jesus knows that. He understands, and that's why he's given us this parable, verse 1, to show us that we should always pray and not give up. To keep going in prayer. What does it look like in practice? It looks like those three words on the screen, doesn't it? Faithfulness in prayer, pleading, persistence, and patience two questions as we close the first one is that you as you look at those words on the screen do those three words describe your own attitude to prayer do you plead with God earnestly beseech him go to your knees physically if necessary as a symbol of what's going on in your heart as you collapse your confidence into your God do you pray earnestly to him you persist in prayer? Do you keep going? Do you keep bringing your loved ones before the throne of God's grace? Because the throne of grace it is. And will you be patient as you trust in the timing of a good and sovereign God to answer our prayers in a way that's good for us and will bring glory to his name? And the second question is not my question, but it's a question from Jesus himself. It's there in verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? You see, Jesus is coming again soon. And when he does, the question we need to ask ourselves is, will he find faith on earth? Or to put it another way, will he find his people praying? You see, prayer is the greatest thermometer of our faith. In the same way that breathing is a sign of physical life, so praying is a sign of spiritual life. If you had the privilege of being there when a baby's been born and they sort of pop out and, and there's just you've got this little purple bundle for a couple of seconds and nothing happens and then there's a <gasps> they gasp and they cry and you don't want to hear that noise in the future but just then it's the most beautiful noise you can imagine because it's a sign of life that cry is a sign of physical life and so prayer is a sign of spiritual life that we've been made alive in Christ, that we've been born again into a living hope, and we know the God who made all things, who's going to one day gather his people together. Born again into a living hope. People who pray are people of faith. And if there is no prayer, then there is no faith. So let me ask you that question again. If Jesus comes back in your lifetime, and he may well do, Will he find a living faith that shows itself in earnest prayer? We close with our verse for the year. Many of you will know this, our visitors won't. These are our verses that we began our year with. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope Christ is coming again. 
Be patient in affliction. We live in a world of trouble and injustice. And be faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope. Patient in affliction. And faithful in prayer. You take a moment just to ask yourself how the Lord has spoken to you maybe this morning. And then we're going to respond as we close in song together.